0: Welcome to the crappier Bring Podcast. This is episode number 247. And hey, we're coming to you on a Tuesday. That's right, we're kicking off a new addition to our podcast, family. New Tuesday episodes twice a month in addition to our familiar Friday episodes. In these Tuesday episodes, we're going to play with new formats like topic-focused roundtable discussions and podcasts with special guests where you ask the questions. We have some very cool things in store and appreciate our sponsors for making it possible to bring these to you. Sponsors like AccuBrew. AccuBrew is a revolutionary fermentation analysis tool unlike anything else on the market, giving brewers unprecedented insight into the fermentation process. AccuBrew helps brewers confirm consistency and avoid problems from batch to batch. From your smart device, you can track and compare sugar conversion, temperature, and clarity and use that information to continuously improve your process. AccuBrew goes beyond a simple measurement tool with the AccuBrew system managing your process and people has never been easier. Visit AccuBrew.io today for a no-obligation 90-day trial. Also, this episode is brought to you by RAR Malting Company, celebrating 175 years of the malt of reputation. Since 1847, RAR Malt has been a benchmark of quality and consistency for brewers everywhere. Now offering Dextrin Malt to help you boost mouthfeel and haze in your IPA, or to show off a jiggly foam stand on a pills. Available exclusively through BSG at bsgcraftbrewing.com. And for nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. GD stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. GD also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real world field labor experience in breweries wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System design experts today at gdchillers.com. For this inaugural roundtable episode, I traveled out to Windsor, California last month and recorded this conversation with Vinny and Natalie Chillerzo of Russian River, Jean of Florian Van Wa of Cantillon, and Rob Todd and Jason Perkins of Allegash. The occasion, of course, was the release of their wild friendship blend of spontaneous beer from each of the three breweries and the release is marked by special events in Brussels, Windsor, and Portland, Maine. Without further ado, let's jump right into the roundtable discussion on Spontaneous Brewing. We are sitting at this uh, recording this podcast in the cool ship room at Russian river, and, uh, it's a little bit echoey, but we took a, a, a poll yesterday at, at dinner and uh, I think everyone unanimously agreed that this was the, the most appropriate place to the podcast. Um, joining me are Jason, Rob, Jean, Florian, uh, Natalie and Vinny. And, uh, we'll go through if you guys can introduce yourselves quickly so people can uh, hear your voice and know who's talking when they're talking.
1: Hello, Jason Perkins from Allagash. Hey, uh, Rob Todd here from Allagash Brewing. Hello, Jean Van Roy from Cantillon Brewery.
2: Hello, guys. Here is uh, Florian from Cantillon Brewery. Hi,
3: everyone. This is Natalie Chalurzo from Russian River.
4: And last but not least, myself, Vinny, from Russian River Brewing Company.
0: All right, we're going to keep track of all of, uh, of everyone as they're talking through this. Uh, we're going to have a conversation, a roundtable discussion about spontaneous brewing, of course, uh, rooted in the Lambic and Goose tradition um, you know, between Allagash and Russian River here in America. Uh, they pioneered some uh, spontaneous brewing, and now today... Uh, decade and a half later, at least, uh, spontaneous brewing is quite a thing here in the United States. It's uh, it's taken hold, and there, of course there are different views and different approaches to that. We're going to talk about it from a conceptual level uh, on down to some of the more pragmatic and flexible concerns, especially as we do it in different kinds of environments. Um, that are not necessarily the Paiute land. Let's kick off the discussion today, talking about uh, the Wild Friendship blend. Uh, the reason that everybody is here today in uh, in Windsor, California, and uh, we're this is the morning before. When people listen to this, it'll be uh, it'll be July. Oh, speaking of that, when people listen to this, uh, uh, this past week we just hit five million downloads total on the podcast, and I meant to to mention that uh, after actually it was after episode two hundred forty one that uh, folks will have listened to. Of course, this is episode two hundred. 47 and using the miracle of time and recording, uh, by the time people hear this, that will be long past. Um, but I thought it was a fun milestone. So it's nice to know that uh, the folks are listening out there and thank you all for downloading and uh, supporting our podcast, this little crazy thing that we do and allowing us to come and have conversations like this. Let's talk about Wild Friendship Blend. Uh, what was the, the root and the foundation of this and uh, you know, the, the conceptual idea behind creating a blend of, uh, of spontaneously fermented beer from American breweries and Cantillon?
5: Uh, so i think we are uh, at the, the, the base of this, uh, this idea. Um, the the, the id came from uh, the event called quintessence so we are we organized the brewery since 98 uh, quintessence uh, it means uh, that visitors are coming in the brewery to do a tour and in the brewery they can taste a rare beer exceptional beer from uh, from canton with some, some appetizers and um, in 2012, we decided to, to, had to, 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 to make another, another level of, uh, for the Quintessence, and we started to work with, uh, to invite other breweries. We started in 2000, 2012 with three uh, Italian breweries, uh, some of them starting to, to produce spontaneous fermentation. And in 2014, uh, we did the same with uh, our friends here, Around the table with uh, Alagash and uh, Rishon River, and uh, there the idea was to to make a blend together. Uh, because, as you know, spontaneous fermentation beer, the, the, the lambic is the base, but to produce all the rest of the production, goose and fruit beer, we have to blend lambic. And the idea was to to make a blend, but with uh, spo- all the spontaneous fermentation beer coming from other region uh, here, East Coast and West Coast, and uh, Russian River and Alagash sent the brewery uh, two kegs of, I don't remember, the, the about 50 liters, but e- exactly.
4: Yeah, the, I don't remember the quantity, maybe a little bit more, I, I think whatever in, the quantity. In,
5: in, in yeah. liters, it was about uh, 100 to 150 liters each from each brewery. Um, I blend it with uh, Cantillon Lambic, to produce the first uh, Cuvée de l'Amitié, so that was the first name in French. And what to do with those uh, four or six empty kegs, uh, and I propose to refill it with Lambic and to send it back to to U.S. to produce another friendship blend, but in the U.S.
0: Give, uh, make, building a blend of Cantillon, uh, you know, traditional Lambic brewed in Brussels, and blending with American spontaneous beer is a rather large stamp of approval, in a sense, for American spontaneous brewers. Uh, you know, there was a question, of course, when you all started spontaneously brewing here in America, whether you could even do it. There are certainly brewers, you know, and, and maybe some more curmudgeonly lambic brewers who said it could never be done or that it wouldn't you know, wouldn't work out very well. Um, but that's quite a move then, Jean, to say this, yeah, this is the thing, and we're going to build a blend out of all of these things. But it was th-
5: such a blend is not it's not so easy to make because when you are making blend, you you taste the beer before. There, Jason, sure. Rob, Natalie, and Vinny sent me a beer, so it was the beer to use. I had no no other option, and for the first blend, yeah, I remember they they sent me both um, beer with lots of character. <laughs> and
4: <laughs> he's being very polite <laughs> <laughs>
5: and it was it was not so easy and to to balance the 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 blend uh as best as possible uh i used uh a old uh Ombic, olympic but very soft uh, otherwise otherwise the 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 final blend should be too too acidic, too too strong, and so I used a, a very soft uh, cantillon lambic. And uh, the, the final blend was, well, was very good, but uh, no one tasted the cantillon in it. <laughs> <laughs> at least not at first. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but the, 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 second, the second blend so made in 2019, because the Quintescence uh, we organized uh, last April, uh 18th of april uh was normally foreseen for 2020 uh and was cancelled due to the due to the pandemic uh, so we made the, the second blend in uh, december 19. Uh, there uh, they were very uh, very friendly and they sent me uh, beer with uh, more mellowness it was you it was to, easier
0: you got to give them the right parameters <laughs> well, this time
4: what he's saying is we're better at making spontaneous <laughs> beer at <Alligash> and russian <laughs> river now As you tasted
0: that, even for this most recent blend in 2019, and you know, as you were constructing that, like, how do you, you know, talk to me about that blending process and the thought process? You know, how would you describe the spontaneous beer that Allegash and Russian River are making, or that they sent you in this time?
5: So the 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 beer was for for both of the breweries, fruity uh hmm. mellow very nice lingering finish uh as usual a bit more bretty uh and uh, hmm. river compared to uh to um, to allegash uh the, 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 the spontaneous fermentation uh from Alagash is a bit close to uh, to alembic i think in my opinion yeah like, what,
0: what would make it close to you know uh, right? what are those the
5: the 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 acidity the sourness uh, it's more present in uh, the, the Allegash beer hmm. than the the, um, the Russian River beers. Russian right. River is more bready. You you f- you feel the bread in it.
0: And then, as you think about how to you know what of your own beer to pull for that, uh, you know how did you what did you look for then in your own stock to pull.
5: Uh, so the, the the goal is to, to to try to try to make to make as usual uh, a beer with the best balance possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I remember well, I choose uh, a beer with uh, some uh, wine notes uh, because it was in a Bose uh, beer from Allegation and Rich and River. There was no 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 woodiness in it. Sure. And so um, I I choose for a Cantillon uh, Lambic. With a bit more uh, yeah, close to to some to some uh, specific wine notes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna pour a little bit of beer here. Uh, in the process of that, let's let's uh, let's talk a little bit about alegash and the process that you all use. Jean just mentioned that uh, you know alegash that you all the flavor that you all are producing in spontaneous beers is, is exceeding very very close to to Belgian lambic. Uh, Rob and Jason, why don't you talk to me about? Uh, as you decided to get into spontaneous fermentation uh, at the brewery in Maine, um, some of the steps that you took to to of identify what those key flavor components were that you might be looking for, how you went about building an environment that would uh, produce that. You know, I think there's this this you know misthought in brewing that uh, you know this is just all a giant accident that you know you get what you get, but in in fact when you're talking about spontaneous beer, every brewer Yeah. I think the mic probably caught that one. I think it did. I think it did. Sorry
3: for the interruption. (laughs) Sure.
0: I think there's this misconception that it's just the beer becomes what the beer becomes and that's it. But you all very much build environments in order to produce beer that tastes the way that you want it to taste. And, uh, you know, then built a technique and a process in order, you know, because Having it taste that way is an incredibly important piece of this also. Talk to me, you know, as you got into this project and decided to undertake it, um, you know, what that meant and what some of those things were that you all focused on.
1: Well, I'll, I'll start and maybe just talk quickly, um, although I have trouble talking quickly sometimes, but <laughs> uh, just about how we got into it in the first place. And then maybe Jason can talk a little bit. Um, more about the process and the brewing and the blending. But, um, I mean, our story with how we got into this, making these beers, goes back to 2006. And um, Vinny and I were invited by Sam from Dogfish, uh, in addition to Adam Avery um, from Avery Brewing and, and Tommy from Port Abbey Brewing. Sam invited us all over for a trip to Belgium back in 2006 it was an amazing trip. It was about a week long. And we basically spent the bulk of the time over there uh, visiting breweries that were making uh, lambic beers, spontaneously fermented beers. And we drank a lot of spontaneously fermented beers. It was amazing. And uh, at the very end of the trip, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. We were at Cantillon, and I was uh, talking with Jean um, a little bit before we left. With, and- with some of uh, Mario. Uh- in your bag. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we,
4: yeah, we brought a bunch of Amarillo hops, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, John's still trying to blend that beer away. Yeah, yeah good luck. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think I just kind of casually mentioned, like, geez, it's a shame we can't make these beers because, I mean, everything I'd ever read in the 90s and leading up to this trip in 2006 was that these beers could only be brewed in Belgium, in the Seine Valley area and uh Jean quickly said no he said you can make spontaneous beers anywhere. They're not gonna taste the same if you make them in different locations, but you can make these beers. And uh I I kind of scratched my head and the thought stuck with me. Um but I thought about it quite a bit for the next few months. Um and I would just wondered can we can we make these beers? We'd never tried to make them. I was honestly pretty intimidated to make them, to introduce um, some of these uh, bacteria cultures and wild yeast cultures into our brewery. I mean, something else I was told was avoid all of these cultures at all costs if you're trying to make a monoculture beer. Um, But I remember waking up one day in August and saying, you know, let's, we're going to do this. Uh, We'll just make a cool ship. We're not, uh, we're not going to do any test batches. Um, hopefully the Belgian brewers will maybe uh give us a, a few tips. And um I called Jason and said, you know, Jason was enthusiastic about it. So we called a fabricator, had a cool ship made. Um we uh spoke with Jean, uh, we spoke with Armand. Um who else did we chat with? Frank Bone, we we chatted with, they were all very supportive. Um and we brewed the first batch in in December of oh seven. So we've obviously learned, learned a lot, learned a lot since, but you know, it's been, it has been an amazing uh, journey. And I'll just add uh, with the names of these beers, just out of respect to the, to the Belgian brewers, we don't call our beers Lambic and uh, we don't use uh, terms like Creek and and Frambois. Um, We, the beers are brewed very much in the tradition of the, uh, traditional uh, Lambic brewers, but but out of respect for the Belgians, we don't use those terms.
0: And there seem among Belgian brewers to be broad differences of, of opinions around how those words are used. And, uh, you know, you seem to have, Jean, a more flexible uh, opinion of how those terms are used and other Lambic brewers may not be as flexible as you are about how other brewers use those.
5: You know, the, 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 the problem for me... Um, a lot of breweries in Belgium still continue to use the, the, the name lambic or, or Geuss or Crick or Framboise, but they don't produce real one. So uh, I think a beer, a spontaneous fermentation beer like uh, Ruchan River and Alagash are producing, uh, deserve more the name lambic than some fake lambic produced in Belgium. So, but that's that's my opinion. I'm I'm probably a bit alone uh, to think <laughs> about uh, that, to to, to to have this in uh, in Belgium. But so Cantillon Cantillon uh, is fighting to protect uh, the, the the name Lambig and Goe since uh, since the 70s, uh, when when no one was uh, was present to try to, to, to save to save the beer and to preserve this type of production. Um, and now today, because of the success, uh, things change. But uh, the big, big majority of the production of uh, beers called goose, crick, or framboise, or lambic, uh, produced in Belgium, are still industrial product. So, but they can they can uh, wear the name uh, goose, crick, framboise, or lambic. Sure, so that's uh, that's that's the problem. But um, yeah, I. I understand. We have to protect the name Lambic. Otherwise, everybody could start to use it everywhere. So I understand we have to protect it. But uh, yes. some, some uh, Lambic produced in other countries deserve more this name than uh, some Belgian Lambic for sure. You know
0: and I think that if I'm if I'm since we're also here in wine country if we think about the way that uh, you know wine styles and appellations grow and get protected you know generally all of these things take time and that these things develop over time where we are in America 15 years into spontaneous fermentation is still rather early in the development of this this style of beer in America. And we will continue to, you know, there have been attempts to develop a language, a a different way of creating a language around naming these things. You know, there was certainly a move by Jester King to create an idea of method traditional, um, you know, with a, a, a set of guidelines for what that would require. You know, again, there's... In all of these things nothing is perfect and uh, you know uh, but I think that we're still in this developmental phase of creating uh, you know even an American or even worldwide language for what these beers I don't know that spontaneous is the.
5: But the most the most important thing is to produce a great product and if you produce something great people customers will follow you that's that's the most important so you don't need you don't need to copy a name. You have to produce something great. It's that's not, it. It's
0: not
4: just meeting the definition; it's making something that's compelling. It's it's interesting. You bring up you know wine, and we're in the middle of wine country. Um, Natalie and I have several friends, winemaker friends, that make wine that's all native yeast, and they they don't put it on the label. It's just what they do. Um, they these wineries aren't natural per se. They're adding sulfites, but um, they're using all Natural yeast, but when they do talk about it, they never say spontaneous. They either say native or natural yeast. So. Spontaneous as an idea is,
0: is, you know, d- again different. You know, uh, here you might uh, you're still trying to control for varying for variables. You use weather to do that. You use temperature, you know, to control certain variables. You know, I mean, there there it's loose, but it's also guided. Um, you know, why don't we go back and again, talk about some of Jason, maybe you can talk about some of the parameters that Alagash started as you were trying to think about how to take this tradition and employ it here in the United States, what you were going to choose to use and what you, uh, you know, had to then adapt to the environment that you're brewing in here in the United States.
6: Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, we, as Rob indicated, you know, at the time, 2007, you know, there was, there wasn't spontaneous fermentation in this way done anywhere outside of Belgium. So it was a little bit of a, you know, we even called it a project in the early days, just kind of understanding if we could do it. So it really started as, can we um, follow some of the same procedures, if not many of the same procedures to make that are used to make lambic in Portland, Maine, and what will happen? I mean, that was kind of an inquisitive approach we took. So therefore going into it with that approach We followed a lot of the tradition that had been established over many, many years in lambic production. So, um, you know, 40% unmalted wheat, for example, uh, turbid mash, aged hops, long boil, um, et cetera. All of those things are really pulled directly from, you know, this historical process that had been used at lambic producers. You know, we never, as Rob indicated, never called it lambic, one out of respect, as Rob said, but also It's not Lambic, right? It's not. It may follow that process, but it's in a different part of the world. And, you know, place is such an important part of
0: making these beers. Um, We've followed. That's a good point that Lambic, you know, Lambic is a place and those beers are named after a place, you know, versus like a wine variety, a grape variety, which is, you know, can be planted in other places now.
6: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, so following a lot of those same procedures I, without getting too deep into the weeds, we certainly can, but we'll keep it top, top level for now. Um, in a time of year, even, um, we get colder, uh, in Maine than Brussels does, for example. So we don't do a full, uh, brew season, like, you know, from say, uh, November, October, November until March, April, we kind of take a break in January and February when things get really cold, but we did look at, literally looked at simple things like uh temperature charts for brussels versus temperature charts for 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 maine and you find these these times of year really it's november december and march and part of april where they're very similar uh temperature kind of curves if you will and so, so they're like okay that makes sense let's let's brew in in these time frames and so that's kind of was our scaffold to start with and we've more or less stuck to some of that um we do um We have tightened our overnight temperature targets over the years. It was, our range was quite a bit wider initially than it is now. And um, you have a little bit of superstition built into making these kind of beers because of the length of time it takes to know the effect. So for example, we had one night where the overnight temperatures got to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's the top end of our old range. And that entire batch got dumped about a year later. So, we never go anywhere near that again. And whether or not that was from something else or strictly because of that overnight temperature, we'll never know, but that's the kind of small bit of superstition you have to factor into it. So, um, but yeah, for the most part, we, um, to sum it up, for the most part, we really followed um, some of the historical kind of processes and recipes of lambic production.
0: Yeah, how about Russian River? You all have a, a slightly, or had a slightly different approach doing this at the pub. Uh, Early on now at the new brewery here in Windsor in the room that we're sitting in, you know It's purpose-built for for spontaneous, you know cool ship uh, cooling
4: Yeah, I was you know, Rob mentioned the trip that that great trip that uh, he and I and our friends took and um, Such an inspiring trip and maybe a month later Natalie and I were on a our own trip to Belgium back at Cantillon hanging out with Jean, and um, again He said exactly what Rob said. He told Natalie and I, you can spontaneously ferment anywhere in the world. It's just might be different process, different flavor. And we took that to heart, uh, came home and immediately took out a row of barrels in the uh, barrel room at the Santa Rosa 4th Street pub and had a local fabricator make a tank. It's not a wide shallow vessel like Cantillon has, Alligash or what we see now here in Windsor. Uh, it's long, narrow, it was deep. It's what fit in the room. Um, the room doesn't have outside air, so it's just exposed whatever's in the room. Um, so it really was that idea of, of, you know, Hey, this was a first step for us. Um, but it made almost from the beginning, beautiful, spontaneous beer. Um, we would cool the wort and still do when we do make beer there. Uh, I was John and I were talking about this yesterday. I like, that spontaneous beer at two years, whereas we've only started using spontaneous beer here from the Windsor brewery uh, just this year. That's three years old now. It just takes longer. It's more brett forward. The Britannomyces is way more forward young here, uh, almost undrinkable. Um, Our window is 40 degrees Fahrenheit here in Windsor, but in Santa Rosa, we cool the wort down and then it sits overnight and then it goes into barrel. So hybrid process, but now here in Windsor, quite traditional, but always using a you know, lambic style recipe. Um, I, I think it's somewhat well known in the beer world, we use the term synambic, so Sonoma and Lambic contracted together. Um, but, we, but we get uh, really nice uh, acidity. Um, we've learned through temperature that by adjusting our wort temperature, we can soften that acidity that acidity that was so forward on the early Wild Friendship beer that now, as we drink both the Belgium and the U.S. one right now, they're much softer than the original versions.
0: Wart temperature?
4: Yeah, for sure. Wart wart temperature uh, either at the pub at the temperature in which we're cooling it to or uh, here, not necessarily wart temperature, but ambient air temperature outside. So 40 Fahrenheit is our... Uh, limit our top limit that we've uh, that we go to um, we don't have to worry about it being too cold mm-hmm. here the coldest it gets right. is twenty five Fahrenheit so we can do it anytime during the winter uh, we just got to look ahead and and see i'm I'm curious though to do a fall spontaneous fermentation in our cool ship here in Windsor where we're exposed to the outside air through the windows because we're in the middle of wine country we've got we're even though we are in a pseudo-industrial park, we have wineries all around us, and I'm just curious what we would get. Even though the temperature will be higher, be slightly warmer, we could also compensate by potentially cooling the wort just a little bit, but still using most of the outside air. The first time we would do that, we'd probably just go all in and see what, what we get. But um, You think
0: because of the prevalence
4: of wine grapes and the natural yeasts <laughs> that, uh,
0: that come along with them, that it might produce a different kind of fermentation?
4: Um, that, that's my curiosity.
0: Well, that, that raises another interesting question. You know, as you all were getting into this, you all had made beers with Britannomyces before that. You know, did you, uh, you know, were there, was there any kind of uh, adding or, you know, I should say celebrating these cultures within the, the areas that you were going to, to cool ship in?
4: Not, not for us. Like you mean, like doing some well, like with Cantillon uh, when no, you no. moved
0: breweries, you, you take the old old yeah. beer and uh, you know christen the the room with the old beer
5: to yes, kind we, of we 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 moved part of the, the the production, but not not the production itself. So it's uh, we bought in two thousand and fourteen a new building um, and uh, only for the the storage, so to to let the beer age and to be sure to recreate the same the same atmosphere to be sure you know, you, you never know with, 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 with nature uh, but to, to give a maximum of, uh, of chains uh, we, we sprayed we sprayed the, the, the walls with Wort and with and with lambic and uh, 11 first brews uh, we put in the new building uh, all the barrels were barrels already used. In the, the historical building, so um, and uh, and it worked. So the, the, the lambic uh, aging in the new building are uh, as nice as the one coming from the, the historical building. Yeah. I don't know if it's because we sprayed the walls or not. <laughs> right, <but> right, right. <laughs> that might have just been a waste of
4: uh, <laughs> of good lambic, John. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Some people were angry, but. <laughs> We we didn't uh, we didn't do anything with the walls here. We just went all in with the, um, the. I think you know this, Jamie. All this wood came from Sierra Nevada's Mills River property, and uh, Ken Ken and Brian were nice enough to give us this untreated pine.
6: Yeah, and and same for us. We talked about it. You know, we did talk about because we had read those stories about Cantillon or other places. But you know, for us, it was um, we were starting from scratch. Right, we were starting something experiment like i said earlier to see if you could do these kind of beers in this environment so it felt a little bit like well that wouldn't really be testing this theory if we went and sprayed a bunch of canteen on our walls of the of the cool ship room so we really want to just see what would happen without it so yeah
1: i'll yeah. add one more thing though jason mentioned the this, this superstition uh aspect. We did christen, right before brewing our first batch, we christened our cool ship with a bottle of (laughs) Cantillon. So kind of like when they launch a ship, we broke a bottle over the leg of the cool ship. And one of the things we we did do, though, is, and I think we did this from batch one, um, we... Pump a couple barrels or a barrel or so of wort out into the cool ship a few days in advance just to kind of get the environment going with microbes. And we, we did that a few times. And I think it did kind of charge, charge things up with the microbes. Um, and I believe we do that each year now. Just get a little bit in the cool ship, kind of feed the microbes that are in there. Um, we also used wood, uh, from, well, not the, not the same wood, but similar, uh, uh, the our cool ship looks similar on the inside because we used pine that was milled from the site that our brewery was built. Um, so and it's a rough cut wood so I think it does do a pretty good job kind of um, harboring a culture probably a much better job than say if it was uh, a real cleanable tile.
3: We also christened our cool ship um, in this room with the original, a uh, Belgian version of the Wild Friendship Blend from 2015. Uh, we didn't want to waste it, though, so we actually drank the whole bottle. <laughs> and we didn't want to clean up broken glass, so the, the bottle sits up there by itself up on the wall.
0: <laughs> it's interesting to think about the dynamics of spontaneous fermentation through through a season, um, but it's that is something that I've also heard from other brewers. Jester King has mentioned that, that the first brew is always the big question. And then, you know, further brews, uh, you know, help the culture get a, a footing. I know Chad Jacobson at Crooked Stave with their spontaneous beers, they put everything through the cool ship. And he was saying that that has helped that the culture you know, like de- develop a foothold to that. Talk to me about that kind of that process as you brew through a season and how the beers change, you know, and how that fermentation dynamic changes.
4: We, we also put not just uh, Synambic through our cool ship. We'll put... Um Portions of temptation, supplication, consecration that then end up in a fermenting stainless steel tank. So we're we're putting more than just synambic through it. Um, a part of that is to help get the room charged up, get the the wood you know full of the bugs and critters and and whatnot. Um, our early I can speak to our very first batches in here um, weren't that good. They were they weren't um, they were very one dimensional. They were very, very phenolic. Uh, we definitely dumped um, a couple few batches. And, and then in time, the room got a little more lived in, if you will. The walls became, uh, you know, inoculated, I guess, through the, the steam. And, um, and, and now we have pretty consistent, um, you know, flavor profiles coming out. But again, as I said earlier, it's a very slow aging process for us out of the uh, wort we're getting from here. Um, I I don't, that first brew of the year, then when we spontaneously ferment is always a little bit of a um, a, to roll the dice. Not because of anything else other than when you think about even Allagash and Russian River as, you know, two of the earlier adopters of spontaneous fermentation in America in modern times. Um, Like, we still haven't done it that long compared to, to these guys, so... I I, okay. I don't remember the first the first batch
5: at <laughs> I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm an old guy. But uh, in 39, I was I wasn't there.
0: But even in a season, you know, that first batch will perform, you know, a little it'll ferment at a different rate or a, a process. When when
5: we restart the season, the first batch is always a bit uh, a bit special. Yes, it's uh, be, because we restart the brewery because we we have always a bit more risk of. Uh, of defect, you know the the, the, the old equipment uh, didn't run during during seven months approximately, and uh, there is always a risk uh, to, to be broken, uh, of broken uh, yeah, of a problem problem with, uh, with 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 machine with the boiler, uh, even if we are always producing a, a fake brew with uh, with water before to to restart the season. Uh, so it's always a bit more stressful, but for the rest, uh, no. Yeah, and I'm al- always a bit more stressed also to, to wait the start of the fermentation. That's, uh, and when the first batch starts to ferment, okay, the, the, the season can, can start really.
0: With guys, you do that twice then, right? You know, since you're not brewing through a continuous season.
6: Uh, Yeah, so we do, we start in the fall and we do see, if we do a series of batches in the fall, we do see increased speed of fermentation, just, you know, strictly from a visual, like watching the barrels start to ferment. The batches that are brewed, you know, batch three, batch four, batch five of that season do tend to kick off, you know, faster. So that kind of lends kind of evidence to the waking up of the room, if you will, and getting, getting those microbes happy again. We actually aren't brewing all that often in the spring. Um, we still do it on occasion, but um, the spring in Maine is a little a little bit volatile, if you will. Like one day it might be, you know, super cold, and then the next day it'll be in the 50s. And with our temperature range now is about, it sounds like similar to, to Russian rivers, we're top, top end of 40 Fahrenheit, and we prefer it more in the 25 to 35 Fahrenheit range. And so those, those nights are harder to come by, honestly, in... in in April and March. So we tend to do most of our brewing in November and December.
0: Sure. From a flavor perspective, one of the things that sets this style of beer apart from you know, say a, a broader kind of genre of cultured American wild ale, you know, is that funk flavor component. American brewers can make acid all day long and, uh, and a lot do make a lot of very acidic beers but capturing that element of, of funk, some of those sulfury notes, you know, some of that, that really kind of richness that adds that kind of element again, that plays against the, the fruitier flavors in it, um, gives it this kind of depth and dimension, you, you know, from your perspective, uh, you know, what it produces the most palatable, interesting, uh, you know, and, uh, drinkable layer of funkiness in these beers.
4: I think at Russian River, the thing that has improved our um, synambic or spontaneous beer is that our barrel room here at the Windsor facility is much, has a much tighter climate control. Hmm. And I think that barrel, that temperature in which the beer ferments at is, has hugely affected how much softer our spontaneous beers are now. And um, that, that to me has gone a long ways. At our old facility, you'd open the roll-up door, and it would it would rise in temperature, and it could barely hold a proper temperature. So we're fifty-eight Fahrenheit solid all the time in our barrel room here, and we don't have any fluctuation anymore. So to me, for us, I think that's that was a huge, huge uh, change. Um, you know, we we
6: also temperature control our barrel room a little warmer, sixty-two Fahrenheit for us, and something that we've we've been big advocates of for a long time for all of, you know all of our our wild and funky beer is in the same same space um but you know canton is a different approach and i'm certainly not going to argue with their approach so and it'd be interesting to hear you Jean, speak to, to te- yeah, the temp the way temperature we have, we have no, fluctuations no control
5: temperature of the brewery uh so it means it's cold cold in the, in the winter time winter time and uh and warm, but it depends where are the uh, the barrels situated. If they are at the second floor, we can reach 30. I'm sorry, I will speak in Celsius. Um, we can reach around uh, 28, 30 Celsius, uh, which is warm. Uh, in the basement, it's always around no no more than 20, in between 22 and 24, uh, and that's not a problem. Um, I think there is there are no study about um, the impact of the fluctuation of temperature for uh, for beer and for spontaneous fermentation beer, but there are some studies about uh, natural wine, and uh, it seems that the difference of temperature uh, brings more character to the wine. In my opinion, it can also play a role in this way for the for lambic, and that's why uh, if if we can avoid the very high temperature in the brewery uh i prefer to continue to work without uh, without temperature control
0: let's talk a little bit about hops you know hops i think may be a unsung uh you know contributor to this overall flavor profile um talk to me about how you you know choose and use hops in order to to you know again lay uh you know create a foundation for the the natural cultures to to do work and create flavors within these beers
4: at Russian River, we um, don't use any like what I'll call American IPA hops, so Simcoe, Amarillo, Cascade you know, that we age out. We just use European cultivars. Um, we use them both whole cone, whole cone for synambic, but for our uh, other wild beers, uh, Temptation, Supplication, whatnot, we will use pellets, aged pellets. But um, but that's that's really our parameter. We age them ourselves, so we'll either buy them most of the time you can get them on um you know like the yard sale at the <laughs> the hop the hop purveyors and they're they're just damn near giving them away although it's getting more difficult so but we i think our average age of our hops right now are like 10 or 12 years old we have just a, an abundance of of aged hops and uh when when uh, we were just in belgium uh the day after we were at Cantillon, we were at drefontaine and Werner told me that their average age of hops right now is like 17 years old or something crazy like that uh, we also um
6: use almost exclusively howard towel uh we we've been aging them ourselves for years now and actually kind of buy buy the bales age them ourselves on site um, we are trying to incorporate in some main grown hops as much as we can but there's not a lot of that going on in general um, so trying to do a little bit of that uh, but it's also a, just a going thinking back to 2007 rob mentioned you know, it was August that we decided to do it, and then it was late November, December when we started brewing. And obviously, we're not going to be able to age our own hops in that time frame. Um, and Hop Union, you know, at the time, you know, why they did, I'm not sure, but they had like these bales of Hallertau hops that were five plus years old. It had twenty thousand pounds, <clears throat> Ralph, Ralph Olson. Yeah, I think he each gave us each a bale. Yeah, 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 and so it was like kind of. i still don't know exactly why he set those aside um, because they couldn't be used for any other purpose other than that and no one was really doing that stuff back then so maybe he uh he was predicting something that was
4: coming i'm not quite sure but but there is there is this flavor window where the the hops hit that really horrible cheesy note and you got to be patient at least with what we see i'd be curious to hear what uh jean and florian say and then it And and it kind of drops off and actually becomes a little more grassy. And and you sometimes get these little citrus notes and whatnot in there as well that I think add to the complexity. And and there's definitely a a difference. Uh, But thankfully, Ralph had those those bales. And then we super, those very first hops, we cut off like 20 pounds off the bale and put them in the boiler room to age them quicker. I think it it depends... uh the way you you,
5: you let age the, the hop uh you can have che- cheesy flavor after two years uh on some hops and uh and the same after four or five years so uh, I think that the, the 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 way to 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 keep it is uh, is also very important at the brewery we are always working with uh three years or three years old hop uh at the end of the season for example uh it was a mix of two and three years um uh, naturally only uh, noble hops uh, golding allerto Saz, Erzbrucker. um but my my dream is to try to 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 restart uh, a production with the the original uh, hop used by by the ancestor and it was a fresh hop very low in alpha uh, the var- variety the var- variety was called quagnio um uh, no one cultivated it no more because the uh, it's no more uh rentab uh, rentability That's, so it's uh, the, the 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 production is uh, is so 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 small uh and i think the 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 plant is growing uh, also very very slowly that uh, no one wants to 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 reproduce it it's a question of 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 business but uh, could be could be nice to restart Olympic production with the very old type of hop and used fresh. Do you know what the beta
4: acid was on that? Uh, hop variety?
5: No, I know that it but um, was it, do you know, was it high? Or was it just average? No, it was it was also low. It was, yeah, because yeah. yeah. there's an interesting variety. Yeah. Alpha
4: Alpha Alpha was around two, if I remember. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, there's an interesting variety. That's more of a decorative variety here in the States called tea maker. And uh, one of our grower partners at Allagash and Russian River uses, grows a little bit of it. It's very low alpha, but it's quite high in beta. And my thought is is that that might actually inhibit too much bacteria bacteria growth. It's interesting that... you're still only aging hops for three years. You know,
0: this American approach is, is aging them far more yeah. uh, you know, than that. Why...
5: Uh- but you, even, even t- time, time to time, we are, we are working with uh, aged hop, but in a vacuum pack. And so we have uh, right now at the brewery uh, hop from uh, Harvest 2007, but in vacuum. So this hop is fresher than the, the three years old hop, aged in a big big bowl um, and uh when we use a bit too much of the 2007 we produce but you taste it only after after one year when after a, on a, a one year old beer uh the beer is a bit bitter a nice bitterness and i like that i like when 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 it's uh, an, a a nice uh hoppy hoppy flavor if if it's well balanced with the, the sourness from the lambic i like it that's uh and i i always use some in a in a blend you you don't taste it in the final blend but it's i'm not i'm not uh, a brewer who who refuses to to use uh, uh something too help reproduce hoppy beers like uh, iris and uh, cuve saint giloise and when, when it's the right balance between sourness and bitterness, uh, for me, it's, uh,
4: it's always a very, very good deal. Can I hijack the oh, real yeah. quick? How do you, how do you pass this like family tribal knowledge on to, to Florian? Like, how's that? How's that just, are you just in the brewery every
2: day, Florian Or So yeah, no, it's been six years and a half that I'm working over there at the brewery. Um, Really like it. That's maybe a bit difficult in the beginning with uh, with my father. Most of my fault, I have to say. <laughs> but, uh, I can I can admit it right now. But um, and uh, so yeah, for for what all the, the the passing of this knowledge, you know, I'm really based of what my father is doing. But I also have the the advices of my grandfather. And yeah, trying to to take boards, put them together, and adding a bit of my my point of view also. And uh, and yeah, but I'm I'm still learning because you know, I think you, everybody around this table knows it. Like spontaneous fermentation and and lambic is something you 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 can you can not uh, learn learn it at school. To make beer, you can learn it at school. You 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 can have lessons about it and everything but it's so so special what we are doing that you you just have to be at the brewery and learn it directly like that and it takes time so so now I'm it's been 3 3 years that I'm brewing uh with my father and uh, now we will try to let that take part uh at the, uh, the blending also that's maybe the the most difficult part of the of a long big brewer to, to, to find the, the, good, the, the good badges, the, the good barrel to, to blend it with others, with fruits or whatever. So uh, so yeah, it takes time, but it's a pretty funny journey for the moment, so pretty happy.
4: All, yes. all I could think about was when you said that uh, like it was difficult early on, I just thought of Brian and Ken Grossman right there. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
5: but he, he has the passion and that's that's the uh, that's the most important thing. If you have, if you have passion, it's uh you need it for lambic, passion and love and uh he got it. Since since we were in Belgium and talked
0: back in February I watched the bottle conditioned documentary on on you know Belgian lambic and it seems like you had a a similar experience with your own father uh yeah. you know as the brew was passed yeah, Sure, down.
5: it's uh, uh a fam- fam- familial company. It's not. We, don't, we are not speaking about a brewery. It's. Uh, I think it's always a bit difficult at the beginning. We, with uh, in between uh, father and son and uh, yeah. It was. Uh, it was also uh, not so easy thirty years ago when uh, when I started the brewery, and uh, moreover because I was alone with my father. Uh, in the in the late late 80s when I started, uh, the, the, we we only nine brews. Per season, nine, uh, 45 today, uh, and so I was I was alone with my with my father. Uh, it's probably quite more difficult, yeah. dad and son, and sure. that's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's let's zoom out a little bit and talk about you know spontaneously fermented beer in in general. It seems like, especially in America, there we went through this, this surge of and, and you know the interest boomed very quickly when it became a thing that american brewers realized that we can do you know that uh and there were a lot of you know there's a lot of excitement about this and let's let's come in and try this and keep pushing and pushing and and uh you know it seems now that we've hit this kind of you know now that everyone we're, we're some of the excitement of just being able to do it is is starting to uh you know fade down and we get into some of this hard work of how do we continue to make these compelling things and tell a compelling story, not just to beer people, but also to the broader world of bev- fine beverages, you know, that this is this kind of heightened experience of beer and that there is an artistry and, and a beauty, you know, and this natural and blended approach to this. Um, you know, how do all of you now continue to tell that story and find a way to connect this thing to the people that will ultimately buy and, and drink these beers
3: well, if I understand your question correctly, it's to um, basically how do we keep the customer engaged and keep them interested in this particular style of beer?
0: There's you know I think that there was the because we can excitement and now you know that that lasts for a while. Yeah, and I think like everything, you know, you, you know, you you could always just make something hoppy or make something more sour or make something yeah. more intense, um, you know. But we're in this period where that alone doesn't sell those beers anymore. Yeah. that uh, figuring out how to you know make it compelling, but also connect it, you know, in a deeper way, becomes an important way to you know build that mm-hmm. consumption. You know, Cantillon does that with this story that is connected very deeply to yeah. beer consumers around the world.
3: Yeah, well, I think you know, Allegash and Russian River are are quite different business models than Cantillon and 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 all the the lambic brewers in Belgium. I mean, our, making spontaneously beer, fermented beer is not our core. Um, you know, line of products, if you will. Um, it's a kind of small percentage of what we do. So I think at the end of the day we do it because we love it because we're passionate about it. Um, and we're not really concerned so much about <laughs> if the consumer is as equally as passionate. But I mean, just just like getting together and, you know, this we had so much fun and it was such a joy to um, be together for the original wild friendship blend experience and having our events and, you know, going to Belgium for Quintessence Day. And, and, um, you know, that was five, six years, seven years ago. And so here we are all these years later doing it again, because, because we enjoyed it because we are passionate about it because we're similar minded people who, um, you know, if, if you just, if you brew what they love, people will come, they'll follow you on your journey. I, uh, we don't like really market these things or, um, you know, I think just, just having the special event today, for example, um, you know, we have about 250 people coming at between three and nine o'clock this afternoon to come and drink lambic and spontaneously fermented, beers and, and meet Jean and Florian and, and Jason and Rob and, and, uh, come and check out Russian river. And so, you know, we just, so there's 250 people who are excited about it and we're really happy about that.
6: Yeah. I, I'll build on that a little bit and just say that I, I mean, I think, Experiencing these beers in the place that they're made is really important. I mean, these are beers that are really complex, take a lot of time, take a lot of love to make, and having the ability to showcase them in the breweries where they're created, I think, is a very important part of it. I mean, what they do at Cantillon or the museum is amazing, and you can't visit there and be this and have the same approach and thought to beer ever again after you visit that brewery. And you know, sitting in this beautiful room. That you know, Vinny and Natalie have constructed, and this experience here is part of it. It's it's hard to to have somebody pull this beer off a shelf in a store and really understand what goes into it. So, having experiences like this today, having the museum, and you know, we've we at Allagash have kind of stopped having visitors for during the years of COVID and that, that doesn't help. That doesn't help to tell that story about the love that goes into these beers. And so as that starts to come back, giving people that on-site experience to truly understand what goes into it is so important.
4: Yeah. The tour at Russian River ends in the cool ship room here. We have a, we have a bar in our cool ship room. In fact, the, the night before we came to the brewery, so like two or three nights ago um, when everyone got to town, i mentioned mentioned, uh, oh, the, you'll be pouring, John. you'll be pouring uh, during the event uh, at the bar in the cool ship. He goes, your cool ship has a bar? <laughs> He's like, maybe two people can fit in our cool Even ship room. I'm, I mean, no, but I can't believe it. But our tours end here. It's like the crescendo of the tour to see the cool ship and and to tell the story of, of how these beers are made the wood on the wall why is it why is it pine why does it need to be a porous type wood um, so on and so forth all all those things that um, most of the visitors that come here have no idea ab- about and 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 now we're incorporating our spontaneous beer our synambic into other beers as well and I know allagash isn't just making the the, the cool ship beer they're making other variants of it. And so we're using our Synambic and other beers as well. And that's allowing us to hopefully keep making more of it as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with everything everyone's saying. And I think, you know, when you look at what drives us just culturally at the brewery, Innovation and curiosity, they're just so important to us. We, we have a pilot beer program at the brewery where if anyone, it doesn't matter what department you're in, if you have an idea for a beer, you can go to the pilot brew uh, team and propose it. And we literally have 100 new recipes every year. We run that little pilot brew system twice a week. So, it, And I think these spontaneously brewed beers are um, – really, the reason we got into it was just out of just this, uh, um, the curiosity and innovation component of our culture. And I mean, we're lucky. We're we're a family-owned business. Russian River's a family-owned business. Cantillon, um, like Natalie said, it's it's a different model, but also a family-owned business. And, you know, we can keep making the, these beers. Like, no one's going to tell them me, I can't keep making these beers. And, you know, one of the really cool things beyond just the beer is that it is delivering these amazing experiences like this, uh, like this blend, this collaboration. I mean, Jason and I, uh, we got to go over to Belgium and pour beer at Cantillon. You know, it's just an amazing experience. I, I, I couldn't have imagined um, back when I started the brewery that I'd be able to actually be pouring beer that we blended with Russian River and Cantillon in Cantillon. So, you know, and today is going to be another amazing experience. And that's, that's one of the huge reasons why we do this and why we'll continue to do it. I'll, I'll never forget. um,
4: I don't know if it was a call or an email. Maybe we were in Belgium. I think we were, Natalie and I were at the brewery and John goes, Hey, you interested in uh, blending uh, some of your spontaneous beer with ours and Alligash? It was like that was a pretty cool moment. So <laughs> I will I will also throw another story, and I'm getting off track of your question. But I remember our very first uh, batch of beatification, which is our blended spontaneous beer, and I was um, with a friend in Belgium. I took the bottle to Cantillon, and uh, Jean Pierre, Jean's dad, Florence's grandfather, was still very involved, taking him a bottle to. For him to taste, it was like taking the pope holy water. Like it was a huge moment. It was way too tart and acidic, but uh, Jean Pierre was very generous with his time and his knowledge and and his and and his just kind critiquing words. It wasn't like oh, this stuff tastes horrible. Um, that was that that's a moment I will never forget. Pouring our very first ever spontaneous beer to Jean Pierre. Some some
5: for, for the. Small story some some years ago, my father uh, it was during a public brew and uh, an Italian uh, home brewer uh, let my father taste uh, a spontaneous fermentation beer with grapes, and the beer was nice and my father uh, said him it's better than a vion and the guy refused it because for him it was totally impossible to produce a beer that his beer could be better than the the Cantillon one. So uh, he was totally embarrassed. And just <laughs> that's,
1: that's an odd reaction. <laughs>
0: that must happen more often these days with you, as other brewers want to, to share with all of you all, share their spontaneously brewed beers.
5: But to, 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 to continue here, I think I, I said uh, to produce such a beer, we need, we need love and passion. Uh, and that's why it's it's so so nice to uh, to 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 blend uh, our beer all together because you, we blend passion and love coming from different places in the world. And that's uh, and the best way to to taste this passion is love. It's to taste the beer and to taste it in the brewery. That's why quintessence or uh, wild friendship. Yeah, if you have the possibility to taste it at Cantillon Brewery, Russian River, or Alagash. It's always, it's always different.
0: And it creates that memory and that experience sure. that you will always associate with uh, with these flavors. Sure, I think that's a great place to bring this to a close. A quick thanks to all of this episode's sponsors. AccuBrew is a revolutionary fermentation analysis tool unlike anything else in the market since 1847, where malt has been a benchmark of quality and consistency for brewers everywhere. And for nearly 30 years, G.D. Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. Also, your magazine subscription directly supports our ability to bring you this podcast. Each week, go to beerandbring.com, click on the subscribe button. Let us know this content matters to you. Thank you all for allowing me into this little sanctum of, uh, of uh, spontaneous brewing here in Russian River. And uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts on spontaneous brewing with all of our uh, all of our listeners.
3: Thank you for joining us, Jamie. And we look forward to hanging out uh, for the rest of the day. We're going to
0: drink some more Cantillon, Alagash, and Russian River for the rest of today. Yeah.
4: Yeah, thank you again for joining us. <clears throat> what a, This is going to be a great day today. Yeah. Cheers to all of you. Thank you. Cheers.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Brew.